In today's episode, we open our Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 13. In this chapter, Joshua, the leader of the Israelites, is instructed by God to divide the remaining territories, particularly focusing on the regions that were not yet conquered. This chapter lists specific reason, uh, regions rather, and their rulers, and it emphasizes the importance of completing the conquest and distributing the land to fulfill God's promises. This chapter also serves as a transitional point in the narrative, marking the shift from military campaigns to the administrative and territorial organization of the Promised Land. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Tuesday, October 3rd, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. Joining me as my guest this morning is a regular contributor to the show, the Reverend Kevin Parvis, pastor of Congregation Kaiva Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. Good morning, Pastor Parvis. Welcome back to the program. Hey, Pastor. How are you? Oh, I'm doing okay. Better than I deserve, for sure. The Lord is continuing to bless me and my family. I pray the same is for you and for your congregation. Anything interesting happening at Congregation Kaiva Shalom? Well, we're in the midst of the third of the three fall feasts. We're celebrating Sukkot. Uh, we build our sukkah, and now people are coming over and having meals in it, and uh, some are camping in it, and so it's a lot of fun. Very cool. Very neat. Well, I'm happy that you've carved out some time for us today as we head into Joshua 13. It really is a turning point in the book of Joshua, really the halfway point, the second half of the book really focuses on the allotment of the land as opposed to the exciting battles, but there's still so much for us to learn, even though there's a whole a whole slew of Hebrew names that I'll have to muster through for the next few weeks. Okay. But I'm yeah. happy to have you here yeah. today. Maybe you can give us some good pronunciations. But um, yeah, so our text, I think, is going to be pretty interesting today. Well, I'm glad you're reading it, not me. <laughs> well, I tell you what, uh, for good measure, we should start our time together in prayer. Brother, would you lead us in that prayer? Sure. Abba Father, thank you for this season, uh, this promise of the tabernacling that we will have with you in the time to come by, uh, by your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we praise you for him as he has promised that when we are with him, that he will pour forth by the Holy Spirit, streams of living water from us to those who do not know you. So we pray, Father, that you would continue to use us in these seasons, use this radio station and all that goes on there to pour forth that living water to those who hear that their hearts would be softened, that they would come to know you through Christ. Bless us this day and anoint us by that same Spirit to understand what it is you desire us to know from this Sometimes long and tedious chapter, Father, but thank you. We know it's here for our good, so help us to know what it is. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, since we are at this great transition point, it might be a good idea to tell the people what we're transitioning away from. So uh, introduce this shift in the narrative for the folks at home. Well, so, you know, of course, we have in the first 12 chapters uh, all of the great military battles that Joshua 
has led. Uh, of course, we have that great gospel uh, classic, Joshua Fit the Battle of Jericho, that came out of here. Uh, and and yet, I love the transition because I am also old and advanced in years. And, and the transition here is Joshua is old and advanced in years. So, you know, he Granted, wasn't a spring chicken when they entered the promised land, but this has taken some time, and yet Joshua's not done yet. So uh, we're, we have the, the conquering, at least parts of the land coming, but it's not all done yet, and God says you still have more work to do. Agreed, agreed. Well, let's look at that more work that they have to do. Starting with verse 1 of our chapter, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and Yahweh said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there yet remains very much land to possess. This is the land that still remains, all the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites, from Shihor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron, it is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of the Avim in the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Mirah that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the Gebelites, and all Lebanon toward the sunrise from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon to Lebo Hamath, and all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Mirephoth Maim, even all the Sidonians. I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel, only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. End quote. And that's also the end of verse seven and the end of this section. So we have this little introductory section, and it, it is kind of funny when we have both the words of God and the narrator kind of being repetitive. It, it actually sets it up for a little humor. Joshua was old and advanced in years, and God said, you're old and advanced in years, as you brought right. out earlier. How old would old and advanced in years be in the time of Joshua? So I'm guessing, because uh, it is, there's sort of a, uh, it's and it, you know again we know that Moses lived to be 120 and uh, time the time span of peoples are growing shorter, but I think older and advanced years according to most traditions is that he's probably in his early 80s, but it's hard to say exactly, but somewhere in there. Well, you know how it is. Like sometimes we. Uh... We might think, oh, you know, they're old and advanced in years. But the Old Testament, they're, you know, well into their hundreds. Uh, and nowadays, you know, it just, it just, it, I guess that's such a relative term. 80s, the new 60 nowadays. But still, right. uh, especially right. during that time, you know, things are wrapping up for Joshua. But there's, as you said, there's still work to be done, land still to be conquered. But what we notice, at least what I noticed, is the, the rules of engagement have not changed. Yahweh right. is still going to be the one who gives them the victory. And yet I think it's interesting here, too, that though the Lord is speaking to Joshua, and he's actually just reaffirming what Moses had said through God as well, uh, this this separation of the land, it makes the land look really big. 
all you know he's he's talking about from mountain to river and all, and all of this when it really isn't that much land in the grand scheme of things but it's important land and it's land that God is going to use to bring all the nations to him indeed indeed well take us through this text in these places anything significant about that um i mean there's lots i mean certainly mount hermon is a is a big uh a big um geographic point of reference within uh within the land of israel uh interestingly enough in in my head anyway and i i uh it's hard to especially when we think of modern day israel and all the challenges with the west bank and the the Golan Heights and of course Gaza and of course we uh, Israel already gave back uh, the Sinai to Egypt. The Sinai in Egypt is pretty much exactly what God speaks that is belongs to Egypt. Everything is north of the Sinai, and so but you you'll you'll note that the Salt Sea, the Sea of Arabah, isn't really mentioned here as a as a major thing. But you've got Lebanon on the north, you have Egypt on the south, uh, and you've got the sea on the east, and then you've got the uh, deserts on the west. And I just think it's very interesting how um, they don't, you know, they don't actually complete everything that God had called them to do, though he said he would go before them. But he's leaving every tribe to have to be responsible for their own area. And though he has promised he would go before them and drive the inhabitants out, they don't do that. And you're going to see that come back to bite uh, bite a couple of people in the rear here as, t- as time goes on. Exactly. I mean, you know, you have this encouragement from God, you know, I will drive them out. It's his promise that that remaining opposition is, don't worry about it, even though Joshua is advanced in years and won't live much longer. But the reason why it's happening now is because Joshua is apportioning this land before he dies. So they're allocating it before they've even conquered it. But I think even that, even that situation, the fact that they can confidently go out and say, this is going to be yours and this is going to be yours, um, is significant because it shows a, a trust that, Yahweh will keep his promises, that they will conquer it, even though they haven't yet. And, and even though, as you said, the, the, the God is behind it, there's still work that they do, they have to do. So it's theirs, but there's, there's still some fighting to do. And we're going to see that come up time and again also. And, and, we, and we also know that these tribes don't always succeed in what God ha- wants for them to do. And mm-hmm. that's human stubbornness and fear. I mean, it, it harkens back to Caleb and Joshua coming back with the other 10 spies and them saying, we can't do this. And, of course, it was Joshua and Caleb who said, if God is with us, we can do it. Let's just do it. But uh, the revolt made them roam around for another 40 years. Uh, and, and, you know, when we, when we don't trust in God and don't do the things he calls us to do, uh, we pay the price. And uh, God, God will be there for us. But we, you know, I, I think this is indicative of, you know, I, sometimes we struggle with the whole concept of justification versus sanctification when it comes to our faith. 
that God does justify us through Jesus Christ and we are saved, but then God calls us to work with him to complete the things that he desires for us to do. And sometimes we fall down on that. That's just the way it is, unfortunately. Well, I think of our confessions, which rightly proclaim that uh, the good works of the Christian are required. There are things that we have to do. A Christian is required to do good works. These things Mm -hmm. not, of course, in effort to earn our salvation or to merit forgiveness, but in response to that forgiveness. But so often we forget that uh, being declared righteous doesn't mean that we just sit back and wait to die or sit back and wait for the Lord to return. Um, but rather we now serve our, we serve God by serving our neighbor. And in this case, um, their neighbor isn't really going to be served by them, but they are going to exercise God's judgment against their neighbor. But anyway, there's still plenty of conquering to do, even though the narrative in Joshua is shifting to more of a, okay, this is how we're going to divvy up the land. And so in these first few verses, they've listed the general extent of the territory in the Transjordan, uh, but now we're going to move to specific territory assigned uh, to Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Let's start with Reuben, and I'm just going to read a few verses, I think 8 through 14. Here we go. With the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave them. From Aror, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, and the city that is in the middle of the valley, and all the tableland of Mediba as far as Dibon, and all the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the boundary of the Ammonites, and Gilead, and the region of the Geshurites, and the Maacathites, and all Mount Hermon, and all Bashan to Selika, and all the kingdom of Og in Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth in Edrai. He alone was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. These Uh, Pardon me. These Moses had struck and driven out. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Maacathites, but Geshur and Maacath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. To the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to Yahweh, God of Israel, are their inheritance, as he said to them. And Moses gave an inheritance to the tribe of the people of Reuben, according to their clans. Now, I'm not going to get into Reuben yet. So actually, we began uh, with the uh, uh, the half-tribe of Manasseh. But anyway, take us through this part now. So he's divvying them up, and this is everything east of the Jordan for now. Yeah, this is essentially what we think of as uh, uh, sort of this is east of the Jordan, east of the sea, uh, sort of what is in today, modern day, I guess, Jordan. Um, and I, I find it interesting here. Yeah, we can get, you can go, you can really deep dive into all these kings. I do like the uh, parenthetic expression in 12 that Og and Edri were, he alone were left of the remnant of the Rephaim. These are the people they were afraid of in the beginning, uh, these giants that lived in the land. And, uh, and so that's an interesting, I think, an interesting little parenthetic. Also, not driving out the Geshurites, we're going to see that I think, I'm pretty sure David marries a woman from Geshur, 
and she's the mother of Absalom, who, who gives him a lot of grief as well. Um, so there's some interesting things there that occur because they don't complete what God has called them to do. Of course. And, you know, and we know, and it says things like, you know, they live among them to this day, speaking, of course, yeah. to the contemporary day when Joshua was written. But, yeah, we see evidence that whenever they did not follow or heed God's command, well, things went worse for them. I mean, it, it's almost as if, I'm being a little uh, satirical here, but it's almost as if God knows what he's talking about when he gives us oh, instructions. Yeah. yeah Sometimes I wonder. I, so this week in our in our uh, readings, we had uh, Genesis 18, where the three men are visiting Abraham, and, and they. It's like it's it's so it's such an odd thing that God does this, but He always gives us opportunity to come and bow at His feet and to and ask for forgiveness. Because He says, "Let us." He's talking amongst Himself, right? The Trinity is there. Let us go down to Sodom and see if the outrage is exactly the way it is outcrying against us. He knows exactly what's going on, but he's always giving people an opportunity. Indeed, indeed. Well, this little section I read, I misspoke earlier. It's it's sort of a generic introduction to the territories that are going to be assigned to Reuben Gad and then the half-tribe of Manasseh. Um, so right now we're actually going to get into specifically Gad. Uh, I'll begin, uh, pardon me, Reuben. Still, I'm still Reuben. misspeaking. That's not right. Anyway, we're going to look into Reuben right now. Verse 15. And Moses gave an inheritance to the tribe of the people of Reuben according to their clans. So their territory was from Aror, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and the city that is in the middle of the valley, and the tableland by Mediba with Heshbon and its cities that are in the tableland. Dibon and Bamoth Baal and Beth Baal Maon and Jehaz and Kedimoth and Mephath and Kiriathaim and Sibma and Zareth Shahar on the hill of the valley and Beth Peor and the slopes of Pisgah and Beth Jeshimoth that is all the cities of the tableland and all the kingdom of Sihon king of the Amorites who reigned in Heshbon whom Moses defeated with the leaders of Midian, Evi, and Rechem, and Zur, and Hur, and Reba, the princes of Sihon, who lived in the land. Balaam, also the son of Baor, the one who practiced divination, was killed with the sword by the people of Israel, along with the rest of their slain. And the border of the people of Reuben was the Jordan as a boundary. This was the inheritance of the people of Reuben, according to their clans, with their cities and villages. All right, that stops at the end of verse 23. So we were introduced to the fact that these three tribes will have their divisions, and now we see here that it begins with uh, Reuben and their clans. Uh, so anything significant about these places or, you know, how are they determining this inheritance? How are they figuring out to whom to give which portion? Are they drawing lots like they did for so many, or is it some other way? I mean, in many ways, it's just whatever God says, right? He's the one who's dividing this land. He gave it to, those directions to Moses. He gave those sure. directions to Joshua, and he's given them to us here. And I find it interesting here because this is the very land through which they came through and already fought. But as Joshua was entering into the promised land, and that's the way it's put, even though this land is being given as a promise to Reuben, 
that's where they they crossed over the Jordan and built the altar in the midst of the Jordan um, as the waters were separated, much like the Red Sea, right? The, those, those wonderful bookends there. Um, this is the land that now goes to Reuben, just across the river from, from Jerusalem. So where in Scripture did God hand these down? Are we in, Is it in numbers that we hear, like the places where they're going to get, or is it just here present here? How is God revealing this? I mean, I think he revealed it through Moses originally, um, and though we, we get all this detail in Joshua, where at least if we understand the Scriptures to say what they say— um, Moses is giving this inheritance. You'll note in 24, Moses gave an inheritance also to the tribe of Gad. So uh, this is probably part of the oral oral tradition that Moses transferred to Joshua before he was taken up onto the hill and buried with the Lord. And of course, okay. you have yeah. you have uh, not such distinct directions from God, but all all the mentions in the Torah to these various tribes uh, where they're going to get these particular lands is also there. Deuteronomy yeah. 2, you know, all, sure. all, throughout, all throughout the scriptures. And we find a lot of this, too, uh, in Numbers 22 and 23 as they're, yeah. um, as they're dishing this out. Um, sure, so good. Well, we have this uh, section here. God is is going to keep his promises as we move forward. Um, but, uh, you know, as we kind of try to strive to pull something out of this text, because it feels like, you know, well, what does this have to do with us today? How in the world can we take this information and apply it to our lives today? It's that withum factor that people are often looking for. What's in right. it for me? Um, besides I the mean, fact that God is keeping his promises, yeah, take us through, you know, how can we use this information today? Why is it worth reading? I mean, it is tempting, frankly, to over to overread to just kind of gloss these kinds of things. Much like it's tempting to gloss all the uh, um, genealogies that you see. So so and so begat so and so begat so and so. Blah blah blah. Uh, and it's and it is tempting to gloss over those things. But I think the the reason that you shouldn't gloss over them, and the reason some of these are important to us is because they are concrete. These are real people. These are real places. This is real land, and God is in, God is in the midst of them, uh, of these real people and real places. And the, that's, that's the, you know, that, that's, the, I think, the thing that should give us the encouragement is just as God was in the midst and working through real people in real places that we can name and look at on a map. Today they might have, some of them have different names, and some of them have the same names, but uh, we can look at them on a map. We can see the the veracity of the texts, and we can have confidence that God is still working through real people and in real places today. And and that's why that's what I think is the most important thing about. I mean, people do deep dives into the meaning of the Hebrew towns, and they're not even all Hebrew because these are names. Some of these names are are names that are derived from the languages of the people they're being uh, conquered. But, um, and, and, you know, you can pull out all kinds of minutia and try to try to draw 
lots of conclusions from them. But the reality is these these things that are sometimes very tedious parts of the scriptures are important because we can point to where these things happened, and we know this is happening in real time and in real places uh, for these people, and we can have that same confidence today. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we think about that as we take just a few moments to hear these messages. Folks, don't go anywhere. When we return, Pastor Parvis and I will keep on going through Joshua 13. We're going to hear about the allotment to the tribe of Gad and the allotment to the half-tribe of Manasseh. And, uh, and we're going to pull as much as we can out of this. As our guest says, it can be a little tedious when you hear all of these names and they're unfamiliar, but at the same time, God has uh, ordained that we receive this word of his, so we're going to see what his Holy Spirit reveals to us. But all of that when we come back. So don't go anywhere. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. My guest this morning is the Reverend Kevin Parvis. He's the pastor of Congregation Kaiva Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. Folks, I love hearing from you. It's such an encouragement when you write in to share with me how Thy Strong Word is a part of your devotional life. You know, if you have any questions or comments about today's show, or you just want to say hello, or you want to get a message to my guest, you can direct those to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook and send me a message there. Overall, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening and telling others about Thy Strong Word. Whether you listen on the air, on demand at KFUO.org, or through your favorite podcasting app or that KFUO radio app, I'm just glad you're here. Now, as we come back and we look at this text, one of the things that uh, I, <laughs> I said before is like, what's the Witham factor? What's in it for us? Some might say, you know, why are we talking about this archaic passage from the Old Testament? You know, what could it possibly have to do with our modern lives? And one of the things um, is that I, there's a timeless theme here, a theme of God's protection, him keeping his promises, a theme of people, you know, working to serve God according to his will to the best of their abilities, of promises and challenges and the unwavering faith that carries us through. You know, they've conquered much of Canaan, but there's still that work to be done, which my guest and I have been talking about. 
So as this sort of new generation rises up to take on the responsibilities of the old, we see, I guess, a tale, a true story, really, of endurance, keeping faith alive in the face of seemingly insurmountable obstacles. That's one of the things that I think that we take away from this is we see that with God by your side, doing God's will, he goes on before us, fights our battles for us. Not to allegorize it too much because it's also a very, very true historical account. Uh, Brother, anything that you want to add to what we've talked about so far before I read any more verses? Because we don't have a lot more left today. Yeah, and I just, I I think, uh, as I was saying before the break, the... uh the reality of this, the events that we read in Scripture, and we're tempted again to gloss over them because they're all names we can't pronounce and places we don't know where they are, blah, blah, blah. But during the break, I just happened to do a really quick little search, and there's uh, lots of great uh, maps, maps online that you can download and look at and actually get a feature for where these things are happening and what these lands look like and, and where they are today. And I think it's important also for us to take these ancient historic documents and understand that they are, you know, we understand as Lutherans, and I praise God for our understanding of the inerrancy and infallibility of the Word, uh, but, you know, these aren't just times and, and places then, they're times and places now, and God is at work there just as well today. And I think that's a it's a useful thing to actually pull up a map and kind of look at where these little places are. And sometimes, you know, again, I encourage people not to get too distracted by all the minutiae, but you're right. Uh, the reality is, and I think the lesson to take away, is that God works through real people in real places, and he does that with us today as well. Well, let's move in then and see the inheritance that Moses gave to the tribe of Gad. Verse 24, Moses gave an inheritance also to the tribe of Gad, to the people of Gad, according to their clans. Their territory was Jazer and all the cities of Gilead and half the land of the Ammonites to Aror, which is east of Rabbah, and from Heshbon to Ramoth Mizpah and Betonim and from Menaim to the territory of Debir. And in the valley, Beth Haram, Beth Nimrah, Sukoth, and Zaphon, the rest of the kingdom of Sihon, the king of Heshbon, having the Jordan as a boundary, to the lower end of the sea of Chenareth, eastward, beyond the Jordan. This is, in the, this is the inheritance of the people of Gad, according to their clans, with their cities and villages. Now, this might be a little bit off topic, but, you know, it talks a lot about the people the tribes and the clans. Maybe explain a little bit to the folks at home kind of how those divisions are. There are 12 tribes of Israel, but and often people, but what, what are the clans? And I guess what does it look like on the ground, these people, as they're being given or assigned this land? Well, you know, once it's one thing to be assigned, and it's another thing to take to take that assignment and act on it, right? And that's what that's what um, God is calling us to do. We have our assignment, but do we take it and act on it? Now, for the tribe, so you know, again, we can uh, people who like to watch Outlander, for example, they uh, probably can get a feel for. We know the tribe is the Scots, but we know there are all these clans. Each, you know, the adult males are the heads of 
various family groups and they become clannish and set up. And that, that's what's going on. That that's been going on for centuries and centuries, right? That's what's happening here as well. Um, but what I find interesting here too is this is the very land that Jesus does so much ministry around. Uh, the sea, you know, the the Sea of Galilee is not. It's mentioned here as the Sea of Chinnereth. But it's the Sea of Galilee, Galilee, and God and Jesus is doing His ministry in this very land here, and so because of some of the things that we see happening in the New Testament times, that's a proximate result of the lack of ability of these people to go ahead and do what God has called them to do, and so Jesus is doing the ministry there to redeem the land that these people didn't take in the first place. Right. Right. Well, that's why, um, that's why there's pagans in the area and pig farmers and all kinds of things. Well, precisely. And, and, and one of the issues, too, is the reason why the people should have been run out, of course, was because they would lead the people of God astray. I, I, I just exactly. I, I'm looking at this idea of, of clans and tribes, and, and I think that was a good analogy that you used to sort of the clans that we see uh, over in, uh, I don't know if you said uh, Ireland or I forgot which one you said, but yeah, so we still, Scotland, right? We, so we still see that a little bit today, uh, but the clans would have been basically larger than families for sure, but they we're talking about millions of people by this point, right? We're not talking about just yeah. a few hundred thousand. Oh, no, yeah, these are big, big tribes. And this is a big, and you know, Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh get a really big piece of land. Sure, so sure. Tell no, us about it. Well, there's a land. I mean, it's a it's a large. I, I said over the, in over the break, I pulled up a little map, and you see where the tribe of Gad is, uh, and it is a it's a fairly large piece of land uh, up there, uh, big enough to handle that all of those people. So we also see, and you talk about this big land here. Um, well, we're going to run into it here in a minute. I'll actually wait till we get there. So let's, uh, let's keep on going. I'm going to read verse 29 and following. And Moses gave an inheritance to the half-tribe of Manasseh. It was allotted to the half-tribe of the people of Manasseh according to their clans. Their region extended from Mananim through all of Bashan, the whole kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, and the towns of Jair, which are in Bashan, 60 cities, and half Gilead, and Ashtaroth, and Edrai, the cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan. These were allotted to the people of Machir, the son of Manasseh, for the half for the half of the people of Machir, according to their clans. All right, so that it, it almost turns into a little bit of word salad as you're reading it. It's kind of hard to break it apart, but we, we see here in verse 30, the May. Haname, it's going to sound different every time I say it, <laughs> but this well, this place is also in Gad's territory, and we don't really have a definite boundary given, but we see some of this is being shared, too, by by the tribes, and I right. guess it's just practically yeah. speaking. So, they, yeah, they do, and, and one has to ask if you, so you got two tribes of Manasseh, half-tribes, one of them gets land on the one side of the Jordan, the other one gets land on the other. And uh, they do, in a sense, I mean, they share together with uh, with Gad, this land, uh, you know, east of the Lake of 
Chinareth and uh, south of Lebanon. So uh, and maybe I'm getting carried away now by the little map that I'm looking at. But um, it is interesting to see. Uh, and, and then you notice, too, if you look at the map, the geographic portions, while we may not get a sense of their size, some of these guys get really, these tribes get really small pieces of land. And yet one would argue, are they still millions of people? And why are they concentrated on this piece of land? And why is God breaking it up the way he does? And, you know, we can only speculate, but I think we have some ideas based upon the geography of the region. Agreed, indeed. So let's um, – we, we have all of those things sort of laid out now, and then at the end of our chapter it says, these are the inheritance that Moses distributed in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan east of Jericho. But then it says, but to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. Yahweh, God of Israel, is their inheritance, just as they said to, to them. This is the end of our section. It's recalling back into Numbers chapter 18. Uh, when we get, get when we get together tomorrow, we're going to cover the inheritance on the west side of the Jordan. But but right here, he brings up the Levites, and and that's going to come that. up again and again. I think it's worth exploring who they are and why they have a different kind of inheritance. Yeah, I was uh, I was surprised we glossed over fourteen when when that came up the first time because this is a repeat of that particular text, except right. it's a little bit. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. That is um, pretty much the same wording. But he says, in the first time, the offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to him. So now we know that the Levites are the priests. We know the priestly caste, they became over time uh, leather tanners. Uh, they made a living from taking care of the skins of the offerings that were brought, um, but so that's that's the that's the physical function of the priest. They were cared for by all the tribes together, who brought their offerings to the temple, and those offerings by fire were the inheritance that God gave to the Levites. Uh, but then I love in the end of this chapter where he adds this this next part. Uh, he gave no inheritance except the Lord God of Israel as their inheritance, just as he said to them. That's uh, I think that's a, a delightful addition and something for us to really think about, especially as we understand that as Christians we. As children of God who come, who have the Holy Spirit and dwelt in us, we become, I mean, we've heard this phrase all the time, the priesthood of all believers. Uh, we become the priests whose inheritance is God himself. Uh, and that is our inheritance. I mean, so, you know, when we, and I, you know, I struggle with the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, if you will, call it that. Where, where we are promised riches and things like that in this life, you know, we, we can see and we can understand uh, with our rational minds that that isn't always the case. Yes, there are some Christians who are very, uh, very well blessed, and there are some Christians who really suffer. But the reality is the inheritance we have is this thing that we celebrate during Sukkot, which is this 
gathering together and tabernacling together in the Jerusalem to come in the holy city uh, at the end of time. And that's that's our inheritance, regardless of how it might look here. Um, we are cared for by by God and by the people. Uh, you know, certainly you can make these connections to us as pastors as well, to our churches. But I think all of us as Christians, by virtue of our adoption into the priesthood by God through Christ, have this inheritance. When you talk about inheritances, it also makes me think of being good stewards of those inheritances. You know, we look at the division of the land in Joshua 13, and we think about the concept that, well, we are given different things according to, well, God's wishes, but we're, we're told sometimes why, you know, certain groups or people might get something bigger, larger, better, however you want to look at it. But the point is, all those blessings should be managed responsibly and faithfully. And it makes me think of Matthew chapter 25, right? The parable of the talents, you know, yeah. the, the, this, we have Jesus telling us the story and to, to his servants, he gives each according to their ability. And of course, the message of that is that some did faithfully with what they were given and others did not. Uh, but we see that here too. And we see that connection just in general of Yes, you're going to be given different things on this earth uh, that you might consider uh, lesser or more than what other people have received. And it's not about comparing or even coveting what others have. It is about being faithful with what God has given you. Um, so I think that's definitely uh, an aspect of this division that we could connect to us today. Yeah, and I, I absolutely think we need to always focus on the fact that Regardless of all other things that are physical, much like the sacrifices brought by fire, those are physical things. Uh, bottom line is we have, we're always going to take comfort in the fact that our inheritance is Yahweh. Yeah, so the, the Levites, their inheritance is the people of Israel. It's Their job is to take care of the people of Israel uh, from the spiritual point of view, and of course the people of Israel take care of them. Uh, kind of like a pastor living in a parsonage. They don't really have an inheritance. They're not building up equity in the land, but they certainly receive benefits, and they're there for the people's benefit. But then if they are the recipients or their inheritance is the people of Israel. Indeed, our inheritance is Israel reduced to one man, our Lord and Savior Jesus. And, and, and we have plenty of language about inheritance in the New Testament too. You know, we, we think about like from Ephesians and Romans and other places where, where we're going to receive, we have received an inheritance in Christ. It isn't in its fullest uh, condition yet, right? We're still waiting for his return. We don't have in our possession everything that God has promised us, but his promise, as this text illustrates, is as good as having it. So we can connect their inheritance to, I guess, the spiritual inheritance we have in Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And, the, and, and keep in mind, when, when all of these tribes get this physical inheritance of land in which they are to conquer, care for, and steward, and sometimes they do that better than others, and the land, I mean, we know that when, uh, well, you know, there's been just been aggravation over this particular land ever since this, right? 
um, and it's still going on. The land was was uh, barren in the time of Mark Twain. Uh, it was not cared for. Um, and yet the reality is the inheritance that we have in Yahweh is never going to be barren. Uh, if we if we are if we are uh, if we recognize that and we, we will always be satisfied with what God gives us and we will work to to maintain and keep the things that he desires us to do. Interesting. And you're right about that land continuing to be fought over. Um, I guess I wasn't aware of what you just said about there was a time. Tell me a little bit more about that. You said during the time of Mark Twain, it was barren. Tell me more. Yeah, Mark Twain was visiting in 18, I think, 84, something like that. And he wrote in his diaries how the land was just a barren land and a wasteland. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was just be- just as the movement to try to reclaim the land was beginning. But, you know, honestly, the people who had, after the diaspora, the people who had control of the land really didn't care for it. They were pretty much nomadic and didn't, didn't, didn't do anything with it. There's pictures of the Dome of the Rock that was there. That was, it was just, a, it was a reclamation project. It just wasn't being cared for. Uh, it really wasn't important until the time of the reestablishment of the state of Israel. So, you know, the land can go, the, the physical, my whole point in all this is the physical inheritance that we receive can wane or wax, uh, and it can, we can be poor stewards, we cannot care for it, we could lose it, uh, all of those things. But ultimately, when we're satisfied with the fact that we're doing the best we can and we're holding on to the true inheritance we have, which is our faith in Christ, that inheritance will never be lost. Well, stepping back for just a moment and looking at Joshua as the transition passage it is, you know, we've talked about a lot of themes that can pop out from here and apply to us today. Particularly, of course, the idea that God fulfills his promises. We talked about taking, uh, being good stewards of the inheritances that we receive, earthly inheritances, and of course, the inheritance of eternal inheritance we receive in Christ. Uh, One thing that I don't think that we covered as much and I think is worth mentioning is the idea that there is a transition going on, not just in the text, but also on the ground. The reason why it mentions that Joshua is older and advanced in years is because the leadership is transitioning from just as it did from Moses to Joshua. It now transitions from Joshua to the next generation. And so there's these concepts of mentorship, passing along wisdom to the younger generation. Uh, We think of uh, Paul mentoring Timothy. We think of the early Christian communities. We think of that happening today. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how on the ground for the people of Israel, they're going through yet another leadership change. But even though we've gone from Moses to Joshua and now Joshua to the future, there is, of course, the stability of God always present, which is why those nations, I think, that do not have God as a part of of their um, moral fabric that's why it's so easy to become distraught every time the leader changes. But anyway, let's talk a little bit about that, about passing the torch. Yeah, I think if we look in Deuteronomy, especially at uh, the Song of Moses, and Moses was talking about how um, you know he knows the character of this people and how they're going to not do what he has called them to do. I mean, the Song of Moses is is a, is a really lovely but kind of discouraging passage because 
Moses is saying, here's what God has called you to do, and I know you're not, and when you don't, come back to the God of Israel. And the people are just distraught that Moses is gone. Uh, and, you know, and they have a hard time, even even though Moses himself has anointed Joshua to be his successor, it's hard for that transition. And, and you know, in an earthly sense, I think churches go through this when they have long-term serving pastors. Uh, they just don't know how they're going to get on with this new guy. And and I think there's always that fear in the in the and that's why we always have to work very hard and in those transitions to make sure that the people don't put their faith in humans, but in God Himself, who is never transitioning away. You know, God Himself does not transition away. He's always there through all the transitions in our life, and we know that change is hard, and people don't like change, and Lutherans especially. Um, so the reality is we don't want to invest too much in the human who can only be here for a certain amount of years, but but trust in the God who is calling those humans. And that certainly is a message, which, you know, brings us really back to our last verse of the chapter. To the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. Yahweh, God of Israel, is their inheritance. You know, they're to serve God by serving the people. But back in Numbers 18, Yahweh says to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. So I think sometimes when we look at this and we think of the Levites and we might be tempted to say, oh, you know, they didn't they didn't get any land. But look at it today of all of them, which ones still possess those uh, their inheritances and the only ones uh, who will possess the inheritance forever is the one for whom their inheritance is Yahweh. And so we're grateful yeah. to be numbered amongst those who may not be have may not have been given land in this earth, but certainly have been given uh, eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. Amen. So go back and so during uh, Yom Kippur that we just finished here, we read Revelation 21 and that promise of those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and the, the temple gates that will not never be closed and no night there. I mean, that's our inheritance. That's what we have to look forward to, and that's what we hold on to. Absolutely. Well, it looks like we've probably mined this text for as much as we could get out of it, at least within the the confines of the show. Uh, I want to leave you with some of the final words, though. Any other major things that you want the people to know from this text, from Joshua in general, since this will be the only time I have you on to talk about Joshua, or uh, or anything else you'd like to share as we get close to the end of the program? Well, I just think, you know, there is a—it's intended to be humorous, and, you know, it's it's kind of funny, but people— this reminds me of the saying, he who dies with the most toys wins. Um, no, he doesn't. You can't take your toys with you. These guys aren't taking their land with them. The one thing they can take with them is, is the inheritance that God gives us in himself. And and we, again, I think that's really the lesson that comes out of all of this. And don't, go, you know, I encourage you not to gloss over all the really hard to hard to pronounce names. And you know, if you if you want to read through this and grab yourself a Bible atlas and look at where these cities are, that makes it a little more interesting and a little more concrete. But the reality is, 
this is uh, a, a really good lesson in us being really satisfied with God, with what God gives us. I would think that Aaron, when he was told that, was kind of like, oh, that's not fair. Uh, and, you know, we know that Aaron was not upstanding of people just like nobody is. And uh, and yet Aaron does receive this blessing, uh, and, and it carries on until today through the priesthood of Christ. Mm, indeed. Well, folks, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Kevin Parvis. He's the pastor of Congregation Kaiva Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here, and have a blessed day. You too, brother. Folks, you know, we're going to move into chapter 14 tomorrow. The transition continues in Joshua from the detailed and narrative battles and, and all the warfare to now, well, kind of a cataloging of, uh, from conquest to cataloging of all of the apartments and the allotments of land. Chapter 14, well, it takes a little different approach. In this chapter, we are introduced or actually reminded of Caleb. You remember, he was one of the 12 spies who had explored Canaan earlier, and he approaches Joshua and he reminds him of God's promise to give him the land of Hebron. So he wants that Hebron as his inheritance due to his faithfulness and his wholehearted commitment to the Lord during that reconnaissance mission. But Caleb, who, like Joshua, was a little advanced in years. He was 85 years old at the time. But still, he's expressing his readiness to conquer and settle in on the land of Hebron. And, of course, Joshua grants him this territory as in his inheritance. So we're going to look at that and a lot more when we come together tomorrow. So, folks, until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all. As we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.